authors, I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of Short Nonfiction for Authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. And welcome to the 15th episode of the Hybrid Author Podcast in 2021. I've put together a very special episode, which consists of a mashup of all the previous episodes I have put out this year. This mashup is going to be sharing some great tips from some sensational authors that I've had as guests this year to help you on your hybrid author adventure. But first, I want to let you know about some of the upcoming changes to the podcast that you can expect in 2022. So behind the scenes of the podcast, there's actually just me. (laughs) That's right. There's no big production team or editing company or anything else. It's uh, myself that creates the content. I host the show, I edit, I produce, and I market the podcast all on my lonesome. And I absolutely love every minute of it, but it does take a hell of a lot of my time to, to do all this stuff. So all up, one episode takes about a whole day of my time. And as a working mother, writer and author one whole day when I should be writing, it's pretty precious. And I absolutely love bringing value and I love sharing industry professional stories and tips on how we can all succeed and have a fruitful author career but the time has come to determine if you guys feel the same way and value the show for what it is a great resource helping authors like you to have an amazingly abundant hybrid author adventure so in 2022 you will be able to support the show through sites such as buy me a coffee or patreon so this will unlock bonus episodes for individuals who do support the show, access to materials that are not going to be released to the general public, and all of your burning author questions answered. So also in 2022, there will be a sponsored slot through one or two adverts, which will feature in each episode. This will cover the hosting costs of the podcast, and it will only ever be from industry idols and companies that serve us as authors. So you're not going to find any adverts about meat pies or hair products or anything like that. It will all be writing tools, publishing things, and just stuff that's all going to be part of things that are going to be part of our industry. And at the end of this episode, I'm going to share my podcast statistics and writing goals for 2022. For now, let's crack on with the episode. If you're interested in children's writing and literacy, maybe it's something you just, you know, naturally gravitate to. But it's certainly, like, I was so surprised when you read out the list because <laughs> I, yeah, it wasn't something, that, <laughs> wasn't something that I'm like, I will judge writing competitions. Go! Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it's just kind of happened naturally. Yeah, which is awesome. I mean, when you've seen, you said you kind of saw the opportunity for the Romance Writers one. Was that just, did they advertise it on their websites and things? Or how did the opportunities come like right? It might have been, I feel like it might have been like a LinkedIn thing or definitely social media, like never discount social media for finding 
you know, mm. finding out about opportunities. So I must have seen something and I only went on as a read. I didn't go on, you know, I was so at arm's length from the process. I was really just as a reader because readers are just as good at, well, I think they're probably better at judging whether or not a story works. Yeah. You know, someone who's trying to learn the craft. So you're just a really, in, yeah, very interesting that you, <laughs> that it looks as if I'm like, you know, tried to do it when it's just sort of. Yeah, no, well, I did wonder. So when you're kind of applying and things like that, do you, you have to state like what kind of books you read and, and are they looking for that specifically? Are they looking for specific yeah, qualities? I was thinking about way? probably, I don't think that they're, I don't think that it's an application kind okay. of thing. I think yeah. the review will be specifically was for a reader. Yeah. Judge. So I think, yeah, okay, that was an expression of interest. So I kind of think there's either an expression of interest or you're invited. So for the Tim Winton Award, which I'm like dead chuffed to be involved mm. with, that was an expression of interest that went out to a librarian email group that I'm yeah. on. So that's how I found out about that. And I was pretty quick, you know, yeah. like I saw it and I was like, <laughs> drop everything. I would love to do that. You know, I just want to be close to Tim Winton. <laughs> <laughs> I had decided to bring it out because my very first published picture book was a stranger danger story called You Don't Know Me. And at the time I was famous for about five minutes and it was <laughs> endorsed by the state police and education departments and used in uh, schools around the country. And of course, over the years, I kept reading the story to kids in schools, got asked if people could buy it and it wasn't available. So in 2008, I got a new illustrator, Veronica Rourke, and we put together a condensed version of the book. That was my first venture into self-publishing. And then I waited about another 10 years before I had another go. <laughs> and um, it's really only been the last two years, I suppose, that I've seriously been putting out regular titles. Mm, fantastic. And Veronica Rook, you've got a few, have you got a few, you've worked with her in a few projects, haven't you? Really? Yes, I have. Uh, that was the first one we worked on together. And then she illustrated a couple of books for me for Serenity Press, yep. which were traditionally published. And since then, if I need a cover or some internal illustrations for a chapter book, she's usually the first person I go to. Yeah, fantastic. She happens to live across, she lives up the street. Oh, wow. been for a long time. <laughs> oh, that certainly makes it a bit easier, isn't it? Come to my house for a cup of tea and we'll, we'll gnash out the book together. <laughs> it's, it's one that goes back years and years and years. I've been writing all my life. I still, whenever I do author talks, people ask me when I started writing and I I can recite the two-line poem that I wrote as a six-year-old oh, um, but I was first published as a poet when I was 12 and I've been writing professionally for 20 odd years let's not go into that yeah <laughs> um but yeah it was it was a passion in in high school well late primary school and high school when I read Tracy Harding's the ancient future trilogy uh Tracy Harding's also a dyslexic Australian author but what I loved about her trilogy was that she embedded metaphysics into fiction and it made me realise that fiction is a powerful tool for being able to express really big ideas in a way that absolutely anyone will be open to receiving. So, yes, I got inspired. Oh, fantastic. Can you recite the two-sentence poem? <laughs> I should have known you'd do that. Little whispering flower, stand tall and make a shout. Let everything around you know that you're about. 
Oh, I love it. That's fantastic. Well done. Yeah, I just put you on the spot there. So <laughs> That's what comes with the territory of being a writer and an author. It's putting yourself out there for others to judge. And I think we need to understand that not everybody's going to love our work. Not everybody's going to like it. Everybody has different tastes. And that's what makes for an interesting discussion. And I think that we need to appreciate that. Some of the fears I feel about putting out this episode is what if you know people think I sound stupid don't know what I'm talking about worried about what people will say about it all sorts of things but I'm gonna put it out there and maybe it will resonate with people and we go back to the year 1988 now um, just think of the cost of a pint of milk or something in 1988 and you'll get what I'm about to tell you. Some friends of mine were being paid by Maya $80 an hour wow. to be clowns. $80 <laughs> an hour to be clowns in 1988. It was a lot of money. And I said to them, who do I talk to? They said, you talk to the marketing lady. I talked to the marketing lady and I became an $80 an hour clown for those school holidays. Then some a couple of months later, just before the school holidays or a few weeks before the school holidays in March or whenever it was, she called me and said, can you, we want to put a storyteller into the children's book department at Maya for the school holidays. Can you be a storyteller? I said, are you paying $80 an hour? <laughs> she said, yes. And I said, I'm a storyteller. <laughs> and that's exactly how it started. Sat in the bath for a couple of weeks at night reading Grimm's fairy tales and thinking out how I could tell them with the participation from the audience. Started doing that in these school holidays. It went very well. I got great audiences, uh, two shows a day. They kept me on every Saturday for two shows on Saturday. And then eventually a, a school librarian said, can you come and do this at my school? And that's how I began through that. She called other mates down in Mandra. I did more schools. And then somehow I found my way into the library system of Western Australia. And since then, the library system of Western Australia has been very, very good to me and kept me frequently employed as a storyteller. You know, I find you quite pro prolific with your publishing. Uh, what do you believe has been the fundamental actions that you've taken throughout your writing and publishing career to reach your publishing success of, you know, 21 plus books? Really, it's just being organized. I use a bullet journal method. I have my business plan. I have my quarterly, monthly, weekly and, and daily goals that I go through. And it's just treating it as a business. I get to work or get to my office. It's not really far from the kitchen. And I sit down at 8.30 in the morning and I'll work until five o'clock. I'm never distracted. You know, people ask me, oh, well, what, you know, why don't you watch television or read a book or, you know, go out shopping or go for coffee? It just, it honestly never occurs to me to turn on the television or to do anything except work. That's what I'm here for. The books won't get written if I don't sit down and work. It's my full-time job. I treat it with the respect and, and seriousness that it deserves. Yeah. <laughs> have you found others around you have had the same view, kind of treating what you do with respect? Or uh, I've found in the past, you know, to, to sort of sit down and writing, as you said, people are inquiring why you haven't switched on the TV. I don't think they quite understand what you're doing or they maybe just think you are sitting around <laughs> watching TV. Have you ever found, because people know you're kind of working from home, 
that they try and take advantage of that or you know like you know could you possibly yeah. pick up my kid or you know take my dog for a walk <laughs> while I'm on holiday or you know because they wouldn't ask you if you were at an office <laughs> no no that's right I had to train my family and I did that very early on back in I want to say about 2005 or 2006 when I first started when I sat down and said I want to publish a book and I'm going to be serious about this. I took a week off work and that's when I wrote my first draft of my first book, which was literally 14,000 words and nowhere near long enough for a book link. So I figured I had a lot to learn. But in that week, I made the mistake of telling my family that I was going to be home. So I got these phone calls. Oh, we're going for coffee. Come with us. Da, da, da. And I had to keep saying, no, no, I am working. And that sort of happened the first year possibly even into two years my goals were because I was working full-time then I was working up in Perth I had to leave home at seven I didn't get home until six there wasn't a lot of of time to write so I had Tuesday evenings when my husband was playing basketball so he was out of the house I had half a day on the weekend that I said no this is my writing time I'm going to write and so I had to be disciplined for me that's how I work so I had to say no to going out on the boat or going for coffee or getting together with friends because no that's my writing time and my family reasonably quickly learned that when I said I'm writing that's that meant I wasn't available and so these days they know not to call me during the middle of the day for a chat because no I'm working yeah <laughs> Uh, you know that they they never called me for a chat when I was in my my office job so you don't get to chat to me you know it can wait until five o'clock whatever you have to say and so last winter um in the midst of this pandemic and you know everybody's it's just been not a very hopeful place the last year in this world and just with the pandemic and other things that have been going on I've just been like, ah, you know, people are struggling. People are lonely. They're isolated. There's just a lot of uh, negativity and hopelessness in in the world and right now. And um, I thought, how can I use my author voice to help that situation? What can I do? And and there's got to be something else I can do. Yeah, these picture books I'm doing with Cami and White are good. You know, I like the... I like that I have um, good relatable topics, especially the kindness books, but I wanted to do something more and especially more on a global level. And so I thought, oh, then this idea just kind of popped into my head. I thought, what if I can, because kids are, kids are so great. I mean, kids are so, they're so innocent and so inspiring and um, so generous and selfless. And, and what if I can find kids who are already doing amazing things and just write a book series about or write a book about them. And so I thought, I'm going to see if I can, I'm going to see if I can do that. I'm going to find some kids around the world who are doing really cool stuff. And it can be something really simple. It can be something really big, whatever, just anything that is helping somebody or something around the world. And I'm going to see if I can contact them and and I'm going to see if I can write about them. So that idea came to me around December, January. I I thought, okay, now I have my idea for this book and I'm going to see if I can find some kids. And I started looking, I actually started out by looking on Instagram. So I just typed in um, the hashtag uh, kids helping kids or inspiring kids, things like that. And I found 
so many kids that are doing so many really awesome things. I also um, put it out on social media. I made a graphic that said, I'm looking for kids who are making a difference for my new book. If you know anybody, please contact me. And I had people coming out of the woodwork like, oh, my friend's daughter is, you know, donating supplies to the animal shelter. And my my son is having lemonade stands. And instead of using the money for himself, he's getting into the children's hospital. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And it just, it just made me feel so inspired. Like, wow, there is hope for the world. There's all these kids doing so many awesome things. And they're just doing it because they want to help. They're not doing it to get any personal gain at all. And so then I went from one book to four because <laughs> I just kept finding so many kids that are helping animals and the environment and other people and, and sick kids. And, and so I started making lists and then um, it just kind of took off from there. It always feels like there's such a fine line between kind of showing and telling and it's it can feel obvious that the, the big points you can show and then I think a lot of people get confused about how much they're supposed to show or if there's bits that they mm. can skip over and kind of tell. I guess if they want to emphasize a scene or, or something major in the story then showing's the best way but if you know if they're walking down the street and it's of no importance you can maybe just tell that rather than <laughs> kind of show. Yeah exactly so. yeah for transitory <laughs> moments and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a fun in that. What are your editing tips for aspiring authors, if you have any? I think one of the most important things I found, the re a lot of the reasons I got into writing was because I didn't know how to express myself uh, in a very good way, and writing really helped me do that. And so one of the best editing tips I can um, offer for aspiring author authors is to undertake a, a course on the fundamentals of the written language. And now I know a lot of people think, oh, that's the most boring thing in the world that only people at school should learn. But um, being able to express yourself compre comprehensively and succinctly is one of the best skills um, a writer can have. And learning about how grammar and punctuation work to communicate meaning is a big leap towards in, in that direction. So without these skills, you'll struggle to tell your story in an effective manner. And I've also got a few other tips here. Um, so self-editing is a great skill to have, to, so to learn how to edit your own manuscript. But I recommend, and I recommend that you do that before you submit it to anybody. But the, one of the best things to do if you're self-editing is to read your work aloud. So you'll be surprised at how many times you can uh, read your work on the screen and gloss over obvious mistakes. I know when I was at uni, there was an assignment I did and the word was meant to be creatures, but for some reason I put creates there and every time I read the, or redrafted it, it just stayed there because it seemed like it was the right word and obviously it wasn't. Yeah. And I, don't know, I don't know if you've had, ever had any, things, uh, any issues like that. I think um, I've, seen, I've seen a puzzle, so it's not really a puzzle before, but it's almost been a paragraph that is written with the words, um, each word with the correct first letter and the correct last letter mm. and you can but the all the other letters are jumbled up but you can actually read the whole thing what, you know even though it's wrong you can read it being that way I think um I always mix up from and form that always oh. <laughs> and I think the yeah the corrective spell spelling or spell check doesn't really pick that up sometimes so you need a bit of an eagle eye um, so what are your tips who would like to put out their own works of writing for, for your uh, independently published experience? Do you have any tips for authors you would like to share? Any tips for authors? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds. <laughs> Hundreds of tips, but I'm trying, still trying to learn myself. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah, mainly just for the, the indie publishing route. If they want to do their works themselves, like you said before, you did your research. So is that maybe one of the tips you would share? Make sure you look into the companies that uh, authors are maybe looking at self-publishing their work through? I would say so. 
you just need to do your homework and read what's out there. There are plenty of uh, Facebook groups uh, for indie authors. If you join one of those groups, you can listen to other people's stories and you get a whole variety of interesting stories for what's happened to people. But also find colleagues who are doing it as well and, and sit down with them and talk with them about how you've gone about doing it. And if possible, even talk to one of the staff, the publisher or the editor in one of those companies and drill them with as many questions as you can. Uh, I did that and I, I got some satisfying answers. I think I had a, a 30 minute phone call and I had a list of questions as long as my arm and every question was answered very well. So I thought, yep, I'm, I'm happy with this. I'm going ahead with this one. What the old saying is buyer beware. Um, you really got to be aware. There are also some podcasts, etc., out there that talk a lot about independent publishing and and about being self-published and all those kind of things. Just keep on adding to the information. If you want to go down the uh, traditional publishing line, then the important thing is just to keep on sending uh, submissions, and um, you, you're going to get rejections unless you somehow magically just land it right in the first place. I often think it's like um, buying a lotto ticket. Mm-hmm. And every time I send a, a book off to a publisher, I think, man, there's another lotto ticket. And, you know, you get a whole pile of different kind of rejections. I think probably the biggest tip to any writer is because you get rejected, it doesn't mean you suck at writing. Uh, sometimes I like to think they just suck at selecting. <laughs> uh, but I shouldn't really say that about publishers. But, uh, they, just, they just don't know how good my stuff is. Yeah. <laughs> So how often do you submit to publishers? Do you have a few works out at, at one time? Oh, absolutely. I have over 40 picture books that I've written that are complete. When I say complete, every every second month I'll revisit every book. It just sometimes I change them. Sometimes I think I can't do anything more to this book. And I would send, I'll probably put it this way, over the last four years I've sent out over 40 books to over 40, probably over 80 different publishers. And I reckon that I've sent out over four or 500 submissions. Wow. And in that time, I've received two to a publishing office. I've had some nibbles. I've had some interest. I've spent a lot of money on pitch sessions and critique sessions with publishers. It's not easy. It's hard work. So you need to be a self-starter. You need to keep on at it as despondent as you can be when you receive rejections. You need to pick yourself up and just say, right, okay that book wasn't suitable for that publisher. And I think the important thing is to realise that you are a good writer. And so how did you determine of what price to kind of set your course at? Million dollar question. <laughs> it, is, it is really, it, it's a challenge to do it. It's, I'm not going to say it's hard, it's a challenge because you've got to do a lot of research and you've got to com- do comparison. You've got to really scour the internet looking for similar courses that, you, that, that you're creating and look at how much they're charging. Because you can go on Udemy. Udemy is a, another platform where you can create a course. You can That one's a different one because a lot of people go to Udemy and go, oh, I, I want to study a course on playing blackjack. Or I want to study a course on how to write poetry or something like that. And so I, I did a simple search on there for um, kids' self-esteem courses or courses for kids. And, oh, Joe, you should just, if you want to have a laugh, <laughs> go and do it have it just do uh, like um courses for kids there was one they the way they present it on the actual the the front little page with a little description a little photo that looks oh wow that's really excellent then you go look at the preview 
and there was there was one bless her little cotton socks. There was a there was a the lady in India, and she, she'd cut off the camera. Had obviously dropped, and it was just half her head. Oh no! And then, and then, and then there was a messy room in the background, and and she was talking about all these naughty children out there. Oh, they need no. to be disciplined. And then the camera fell over. <laughs> and I'm going, okay, okay. Well, what is she charging for that? <laughs> she was charging around sixty dollars. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I know. And it's like, wow. So I originally had mine set at 147. Someone once described it to me. If they got me in personally to sit down with their child to talk about all this sort of stuff, how long would it take and what would be my value worth? And, you know, like you say, you know, when you do a school visit and you can be at a school and do, say, four sessions and you can charge 650 bucks. So... If you do an online content, obviously you can't charge that much, but that's sort of roughly what your value is worth. So there are some courses out there that value that much. So I thought, okay, do it at 147. That was quite good. I did that for a while. And then I saw other courses for 97, 47, 67, 187. I don't know why. It's all this seven. I don't, it's <laughs> this random, you random did. number. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get it. And um, you, you've just got to really feel, look what everyone else is doing. And don't, sometimes people go, oh, go price lower, because then you're going to get it. But it, it, you can go low as you like, but if your content isn't resonating with people, or if you haven't hit that sweet spot of why someone's going to buy the course, you could sell it for a dollar and it's still not going to sell. Whereas if you can solve someone's problem and show how you can solve their problem, then you can charge you know what, what, what you like in that, mm. in, in that regard. So yeah, yeah but pricing is always going to be a tricky one. I've just worked out pricing for the new program that I've created, which I'll tell you about shortly. But I've I've yeah. got the pricing for that, and I've yet to see whether that pricing is going to work or not because it hasn't <laughs> been launched. But yeah. yeah, yeah, it must be hard. I wonder if seven's the new ninety nine cents. You know, nine ninety nine seven. I think it is. I suppose uh, what would be quite good as well is whether your course gets picked up, not so much for just individual families, but more for organisations and schools themselves to be implementing and teaching to the kids. Well, you know? funny, funny you should mention that, right? Very <laughs> funny. Because it's like what happened, because what, what I was doing, I was tying in initial launch. Okay, You can only launch it and then spread it out to your newsletter, put it on Facebook enough before people get sick of it and that, that initial you know, excitement dies off. So you've got to have to do paid ads. So you had to do, I did paid Facebook advertising and I really struggled with that. I really struggled with wording the content. I really struggled with marrying that up with the, the, the landing page. And, you know, you would think me being a, an advertising copywriter, I would be able to nail it. But the thing is, it's always like the architect who can never build or finish his own home. I can never write about what I do and what I create i can't do it in that third person with that you know because deep down i still have self-confidence issues joe so when i'm trying to talk talk myself up yeah it's like really really hard and and because yeah i'll, I'll go to this in a minute so anyway so i had all these facebook ads and the stats were showing that what was happening was people were going from the facebook ads to the landing page but not converting so whatever the wording i was using was was sort of targeting people but they were getting to landing page and going, oh, this is not what I'm really wanting. And then not obviously converting into buying the program. And so I just let that sit because my husband, I was really putting 100% into this day and night. I'll be waking up at three in the morning thinking, maybe I can change that line of the um, ad to do this and I'm constantly fiddling and playing with things. And, and he said, just drop it all 
to stop for a moment, just <laughs> let it rest for a couple of months. Yep. Let things just chill out. And I'm going, but I need to get money. You know, and that's because my, my, my advertising business, that, a lot of that had dried up because yeah. of COVID and stuff. And it's yeah. like, oh. So I, I put a lot of pressure on, on the program to bring me money, and which I shouldn't have done because then that was putting the cut before the horse, really. And because I, I wanted to get it online, get it earning money, but really I should have actually spent more time doing more research. So any advice to anyone who's about to launch a course, do your research, do your, the important stuff first before even launch. So I had this downtime and I got a, I got a, someone commented on, on Instagram, one of the posts, and she said, we're using your course in our school. And I went, really? <laughs> wow. And then I saw the, the purchase thing came, came through. They bought the course and bought some of the books as well. And so I just, and then she made another couple of comments on Facebook, you know. I thought, okay, this is great. So I reached out to her and I said, so how are you using it? And she goes, yeah, we just pop it on the big screen and we use, we pick a, one of the videos a day. And we, we have a special school we mainly just do with kids with autism. Mm-hmm. And they really like it. And I went, wow, okay, that's cool. And in order to counter the nerves, I took, uh, on the habit of becoming incredibly well prepared for those um, presentations. And I found that being prepared sort of ameliorated that those nerves. Because if I was prepared, then the nerves weren't an issue because I knew what I was going to deliver. And secondly, I began to realise through the experience of speaking to kids that I that a lot of my job was to engage them from me as a person. So to use my personality to connect with them and then to use that connection to then hold their attention and share with them some of the things that I wanted to share. So I kind of used a couple of elements there to get myself through. Um, Having said that, I do also remember with some of those early presentations and even now when I present new information, I will always tweak uh, my presentations after the first time I've given them because they're never right. They're never perfect. You're doing them standing up. You've got the kids there in front of you. You're noticing as you're talking that some things are working well and some things may be missing the mark a bit. Maybe your pitch isn't right, too high, too low. And there's a certain amount of that that you can adjust on the go. But I will then almost always at the end of my session uh, adjust my PowerPoint presentation so that the next time I deliver that presentation, it's already dealt with, that I don't have to manage that particular issue. So again, that's about being organised and that's just a little bit comes from who I am. I guess I'm a little bit, I don't know, what would what one say? A little bit anal in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's working in your favour, obviously. <laughs> so how Obviously, just thinking about the school visits and then when you go in and you're looking for that connection with the kids, I take it it's quite easy to judge whether they're engaged or not if they're sort of just looking at you or responding rather than, you know, looking out the window or picking their nose or, you know, is that how you judge if, if it's something's hitting the mark or not? Yeah, look, absolutely. And kids, you know, kids are so honest and I love that about them. So kids will just start lying down, putting their heads on the desk if it's not working for them or if they're just disengaged. And you know what, Joe? The, the fact is, the truth is that in any group of kids, you will probably get one or two who are like that for various reasons and often they're nothing to do with you, the presenter, and everything to do with stuff that's going on for them. So to an extent you have to be able to just realize you know this isn't about me 
necessarily. This is probably about them. But if you've got half the class lolling about, lying down, head on arm, <laughs> then you've got a problem. Uh, thankfully, I don't have that too often. And most children I meet and most schools I go to, the kids are prepared for my visit. They know uh, their teacher has talked to them about me. Sometimes they're reading one of my books. Um, sometimes the teachers discussed my books with them. Um, other times, they some of these kids will actually want to be writers themselves or illustrators. So, you know, honestly, mainly when I go to schools, I am greeted with a classroom of smiling, gorgeous faces. Um, obviously, the smiles diminish as the children get a bit older. And as you go into the world of teens, you get a slightly different group and a slightly different vibe in the room. But I actually really like that too because, in a way, they're waiting for you to kind of uh, connect with them. If you've been published by a traditional publisher, definitely the big eight always have teachers' notes on their websites. They've got lots of resources that have been done by their designers. I personally wrote all of mine myself because I'm a bit picky <laughs> about so, that, and and I you, know I know what it is that I yeah. wanted to say. Did you put your hand up for that with your publisher? You said, you know, yes, my I background, did. I can do this, and they were quite happy for yes. you to do that. Yeah, yes, I did. I put my hand up for it. It was um, just something that I wanted to do. You know, I can recommend going to the publisher's website. Definitely, um, I always go, no matter what I'm going to be using teaching. I've got a year four class, I'm working full time at the moment, but I always go to the publisher's websites first to see what notes are there. Uh, quite often I'll come up with the stuff myself, of course, but there might be things that I haven't thought of that I can actually write into my planning. Mm. So definitely. I'm not sure about the a lot of the independent publishers. I'm guessing that they would be having teachers' notes on their websites. I mean, it's another way to sell your book, obviously. Yeah, because yeah. I've seen, so, I have seen teachers' notes on PDFs from publishers' websites. I've sold them from Allen and Unwin. Uh, I think yes. Fremantle Press maybe do them. I've also yes. seen teachers' notes at the backs of books. Some I don't think I've ever seen them at the front of books. I have seen them on authors' websites. I think James Foley's got quite a few teachers' notes on his. Yes. Is there any, there, it doesn't seem like there's any kind of rule, I guess, there where they should be. It's it's good maybe if your publisher's got them and your book and you're sourcing them on your website. It's all just another chance for people to find you, your book, and get it out there, I suppose. Yeah, I did my teacher's nights. I, I aimed it for children from grades one to three. I have done some workshops with pre-primary classes and I haven't written anything specifically for them. But, yeah, and I think I will be doing teacher's notes for uh, the upper primary and also for teenagers because mental health issues are really, you know, it's quite interesting what's happening to children and teenagers for mental health. But I would say that um, most publishers would have teacher's notes there. It's very important. It's part of their marketing. It shows people that what you're doing is current, it's relevant, it's contemporary. Children are going to be learning from this. Quite often there's different themes that you might not think of yourself. There'll be activities that they do that are really creative and fun. So teachers and parents, particularly when, uh, those in lockdown, are able to get on and there are print-off activities that you do at home. 
I did a course with Jen Storer, which was great. What I learned from that was just have achievable deadlines because I'm so used to writing picture books, which is the short word count. Doing a longer piece was quite intimidating. So I just set myself 150 words a day and that was achievable. It took me like, what, 15, 20 minutes and then it was done. And then I think, okay, good. And then next day I'll do 150 words again. And then I got it done by just breaking it down like that. So that was really helpful. That's great. And did you ever, did you just stop at the 150 words or sometimes you went over over limit yeah sometimes I went, that was just, yeah because if I was in the flow and then I feel really proud of myself if I've done like 200 words or something <laughs> good on you no I think that's fantastic and, and setting yeah. small achievable goals because sometimes we can especially in the writing world and, and I'm a I'm guilty of it too you can set yourself like such high I'm gonna do this and then feel yeah. quite bad if you don't achieve it and you know yeah, so, you're, yeah. you get writer's guilt don't you that you're not doing enough that's it. You obviously have, have gone for gold and learned your writing craft. And now you are frequently submitting your work to publishers and, yeah. and have some publishing deals. So congratulations. Uh, how, how long have you been submitting your work to publishers? So I probably started about a year or so after I finished the writing picture books course. So it'll be about five years now that I've been submitting. Like in the early days, I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. <laughs> it's really not. And then about a year after that, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is not easy at all. What am I doing? <laughs> um, but then I just thought, you know, I've just got to keep going because if I keep going, then I've got a chance of being published. Mm -hmm. And if I give up, it's not going to happen, guaranteed. So yeah, it takes that's... a lot of determination. Yeah. Yeah, that's the traditional business model, I think, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, in the beginning, were you kind of just putting one work out? And then uh, do you have, how many submissions do you have it at one time now? Um, yeah, I was in the beginning. I literally had one story that I, well, I didn't realise in the beginning that you could actually do simultaneous submissions. So I put one story out, wait six months, <laughs> and then put that same story out to another publisher until someone said, you don't have to do that. You can... Um, do simultaneous submissions so now I've got obviously got a few more stories on the go and I've probably got about 15 or so out at the moment it does vary depending on the time of year and everything yeah no that's yeah. great I think I think back in the day that was the general rule wasn't it that you just yeah. went to one and couldn't put to another so yeah times have definitely changed for, <laughs> for the better thankfully yeah, that's <laughs> um, it. so how have you gone about choosing the publishers that you submit your work to have you have you been strategic or just kind of here everyone this is my story <laughs> um yeah sometimes it depends on the publisher i mean i usually research the publishers and make sure my book fits with their current titles like um, for example i wouldn't submit a serious book to a publisher who's only interested in funny books and vice versa um and i think after you've been following publishers on social media for a while you start to get a sense of what they like and the kind of books they may be interested in i mean some publishers have all different types of books and other ones will focus on certain areas so and you get to learn that after a while So there you have it folks, a Merry Christmas mashup from all the brilliant guests we've listened to and learned from in 2021. I hope you enjoyed it. So now on to the goals. So my writing goals in 2022 are to finish the first three books in my middle grade fiction series, which I've been working on these last couple of months. Uh, they're about friendship and family and they're written with lots of funny moments. So I've already written the first in series and I plan to let that sit and rest over the summer before revisiting it again at the start of the year for another round of rewrites and then another round of critiques before I decide it's final and start sending it out to publishers in the new year. So the good news is these books are quite short in length 
So three of them probably make up about one full novel, one young adult novel. So this goal hopefully should be achievable with everything that I have on my plate, you know, a family, a household, a part-time work out of the house, all other things. Sometimes goals can be hard to reach, but I've watched my behaviour this year and seen what I can and can't do. And I've been kind to myself as well. And I plan on doing the same next year. And I've tried to set realistic goals and I realise what I can do and what I can't. And yeah, so fingers crossed, the ones that I've set this year are ones that I will achieve. Then for the second half of the year, my writing mind switches over to non-fiction. Now, I've always tried to do non-fiction at the start of every year and then I have got to switch over to fiction. So I, I'm trying something different this year. I think it's going to work better, me working on the children's fiction, being prepared for mid-year when I, that's when the children's fiction stuff comes around, and then turning to non-fiction. So let's see how that pans out. So I plan on releasing two more books in my author lining series. So, so far I've got freelance writing, quick tips for fast success, and that is for anybody who is starting up a freelance writing business, and it's 66 quick tips on all different things to help you on your way, mindset, business setup, stuff like that. And the other one is author fears and how to overcome them. So a bunch of emotional crap that I have dealt with, uh, you know, trying to have an author career and uh, I've come up against that and I've got through it. And it's, again, sort of tips on how you might proceed in overcoming that yourself. Uh, so this will, the two books that I released this year, will make a bundle of books in the author lining series and these are meant to help inspiring authors through the physical and emotional side of having a successful author career because both these things come into play once you start putting yourself out there. Uh, so the first one of these books is around performance for authors and the second is going to be around author events in person and online. So there'll be more, more speak of these in the new year and these will probably become available more towards the end of next year. Finally, I'm very excited to be launching the first two in this series probably next year. I've managed to scrape the formats for freelance writing together so the ebook, the print and audio will be released. It's like very soon, early on in the new year and I'm hoping to get author fears and how to overcome them also in ebook, audio and print and get that out as well at some point. So I started the Hybrid Author Podcast in May of this year and I have since put out 15 fortnightly episodes. And from that, I have had 450 downloads and been listened to in 13 countries. So Australia, USA, UK, Spain, Germany, Brazil, Cambodia, Canada, Turkey, India, Switzerland, New Zealand and Taiwan. So I'm very excited about that. And I just wanted to thank everybody who has listened to the podcast. And I really, really hope you've got something out of it, some tips that's helped you. I would love to hear from you on social media or via email, joanne at thehybridauthor.com.au to share with me uh, what episodes you found good. Or you can always leave me a review on Apple iTunes or Spotify or any whatever platform you listen to to let me know how the podcast has helped or how you've enjoyed it and and that really would mean a lot to me and show me that time is being well spent <laughs> so i wish you all well and happiness and health in the future 2022 and i think that despite everything that's going on global pandemic still happening and just continue to focus on yourself and your family and your loved ones and still continue to keep doing what you love to do. Take care and I'll speak to you in 2022. That's the end for now authors. I hope you're further forward in your author adventure after listening and I hope you'll listen next time.
remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.